Thanks for joining us here at KVCR for KVC Arts, arts and entertainment, as well as the people and places providing it. I'm David Fleming. On this edition, I'll be speaking with Jay Siegel, original lead singer of The Tokens. Jay Siegel's Tokens will be in the region quite soon, and we'll have more information on that later in the program. We will, of course, hear about The Lion Sleeps Tonight and more, of course. But we're starting with music from a group Siegel was in, which predates the classic lineup of The Tokens, although it led to it a group which was started by Neil Sedaka. While I dream, while I dream. high school in Brooklyn, New York, and I was in the chorus. That was my favorite subject, of course. And sitting next to me in the chorus was this other kid, a friend of mine, who said to me, you want to come over to my house? After school, I'm going to be starting a rock and roll group. You know, I started a rock and roll group a while ago, but the lead singer had left and he couldn't do it anymore. He didn't want to do it. So anyway, he lived about five blocks away from where I lived, and I went over to his house. And he sat down and he played the piano and I sang a few songs. And he said, yeah, that's good. You made the addition. And that kid's name was Neil Sedaka. <laughs> and he did pretty good. Yeah, I Neil, see. Yeah. <laughs> Neil did very well. And the name of the group, by the way, that time was not the Tokens. It was the Link Tones, L-I-N-C, Link Tones, because we went to Lincoln High School. And then further down the road, it devolved into becoming the Tokens. And that's how I met Neil. Very, very famous people graduated from Lincoln High School. In fact, in Neil Sedaka's graduating class was this other kid that we used to make fun of. Oh, yeah, you really want to be an actor? You'll never be an actor. His name was Harvey Keitel. (laughs) (laughs) So that was another kid that graduated that we used to make fun of. You know, Neil was going to be in the music business. Harvey is going to be an actor. Uh, Who knows? But look what happened. Look what happened. All good things happened. Do you know why the tokens, by the way? Was this just everything we had in our pockets? How did this one work out, this subway tokens? Well, you know, we had a manager, or a mismanager. Everybody (laughs) had a manager. Well, you know, that's very common in the 50s and 60s. You know, we didn't know we were in the music business. We didn't know it was a business. We thought we were just making music and having a good time. Mm. We didn't know, wait a minute, this could be a business. You could make money. So everybody else was making money, but we were doing the music, and they were getting the money. (laughs) But anyhow, (laughs) so this person who knew somebody who knew somebody in a record company came up with the name Tokens, and we really did not care for the name because... We didn't want to be, you know, in New York, there was a subway token, there was a bus token, you know, Mm -hmm. we used tokens to get on transportation. Now, why would we want to be known as a bus token or a subway token? We wanted to be known, okay, tokens, let's say tokens of love, Mm. tokens of affection, you know, that's what we wanted to be known, you know, what the word would mean, not a way to get on a bus (laughs) or a subway. So, but you know, after the first hit record or so, we sort of grew to like the name. All right, nice. Over 
it was very early on. This would be before the Margos came on. This would be you, Neil Sedaka. Also, it looks like Cynthia Zolotan and Hank Medris. Cynthia, yes, Cynthia Zolotan, you said it correctly. Yes. And uh, Hank Medris. We were the original tokens back in the end of the Civil War. No, I'm only kidding. But we were, yeah, that was the original, the original group, yes. And you were in high school when you met Neil Sedaka, but were you still in high school when you guys got the opportunity to record While I Dream and I Love My Baby? No, that was about a year after I left high school. I was still a kid. I think I must have been about 17 years old. But yeah, we were very young, but out of high school, and Neil was out of high school. Neil Sadaka was a year older than I was, and he still is. <laughs> still he, is. He's still a year older than I am. And we do still maintain a very friendly relationship. We see each other, you know, three, four times a year to go out to dinner. And if it weren't for Neil Sadaka, you and I would probably not be having this conversation because he was a great influence in my musical life and my life, you know. And he's a great, great person and one of the most super talented people I've ever met. I have to say, I've probably seen more of Neil since the time of the pandemic than ever before. He started releasing on Facebook these not quite daily updates, but I would see messages or short clips of him quite often. Well, you know what he did? He was out in California because some of his family lives out in California. Mm -hmm. And he would do a, like a little 15-minute mini-concert, just him sitting at the piano for Facebook a couple of times a week. I thought that was terrific, you know, and he played old songs, he played new songs. One of the uh, versions that he did, he spoke about me in our high school days, and, you know, it was a terrific idea that he had. Oh yeah, it was great. I always looked forward to seeing those. I never knew when they would come about. So as the tokens, you folks were able to get onto the Ted Steele dance time. Was this sort of a regional American bandstand kind of thing? Yeah, I don't know how many people remember that, but Ted Steele's dance time was very similar to American Bandstand. They would have recording artists come in, we all lip sync our songs, you know, mm. and they had kids dancing, and it was very, very similar to Dick Clark's American Bandstand. And when we uh, did this show with a song called, <laughs> the song was called Lover Lips. I'll never forget <laughs> that, and I can see us on that show right now, exactly what we were wearing and how nervous we were. This was a big TV show, you know, yeah. Was this an audition kind of thing, or somebody no, caught? No, no, it was an audition. Once again, you know, we had a record out, and somebody had a connection with the producer of that show and got us to appear on the show, so okay. yeah, that was fun. Nice. Was fun. Fantastic.
still in the early history after uh, Sadako left for the solo career. You and a few other folks still with Hank Medris, but whether this is a side project or a new band or whatever it was looked at at the time, but it was Daryl and the Oxfords. And yes, sir. You did your homework, Dave. Oh, yes, sir. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> well, yeah, you know, when Neil left the tokens, myself and Hank Medris got two of our high school buddies, and we knew someone that was a songwriter who knew somebody that was involved with Roulette Records, and they wrote a song called Picture in My Wallet. And they brought us into the studio to record this song. It was released by Roulette Records, and they said, well, we can't be the tokens. Let's change the name. They changed the name to Daryl and the Oxford. <laughs> I was Daryl, and the other guys were the Oxford. And then, we, we, you know, okay, we got a record out. You want me to be Daryl? I'll be Daryl. You know, <laughs> just, just put the record out. I don't care what you want to call me. But anyway, they released Picture in My Wallet. You know, it was a regional hit. It was a very well-known record in the tri-state area, New York, Jersey, and Connecticut. And it afforded us to get on this major TV show. We thought it was a major TV show. It was the Alan Freed mm. Big Beat television show. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, so we were on this show, one of the earliest Alan Freed television shows. And I'll never forget the lineup of the show. Mickey and Sylvia. Mm. Yeah, big record, Love is Strange. Yes. Little Anthony and the Imperial. Oh, wow. Earl Grant, who had a very big record called The End. Oh, yeah. And we were on that show and singing Picture in My Wallet, yeah. But Daryl and the Oxfords, that only lasted maybe a year or so because two of the guys in the group decided they didn't think this could be a career for them. Mm -hmm. So one became a teacher, one got into the finance business, and so Hank and I continued on, and we found the Margot Brothers, and we reformed the tokens once again. Beautiful. You come back to me. One last thing on Daryl and Oxford's. Why Daryl? How did they get the name Daryl to name you guys? David, I have no idea. They <laughs> said, we're going to call the group Daryl and the Oxford's, and you'll be Daryl. And I said, okay. Perfect. <laughs> be <Okay>. Daryl. <laughs> yeah. So where it came from, it was just given to us, just like the tokens, the name the tokens were given to us. We didn't choose it. Okay. Yeah. Dum, dooby, dum, Well, I guess maybe the earliest with the tokens that I know of anyway would be Tonight I Fell in Love. I believe this was a Hank Medris song, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, no, this was a... T we all... Oh, you all did. The label credit changed over the years. Ah. This is a song that we all wrote together. All the melody of the falsetto was something that I wrote, and the lyric was something that the Margos and Hank wrote. It was a group effort, yeah. And that was the first record that we all co-wrote together. Hank found somebody that had $300 to bring us into a studio and make a demo of Tonight I Fell in Love. We shopped it around. We brought it to uh, all the record companies. And in New York City, back in the early 60s, there were very many independent record companies. And Warwick Records, his name was Morty Kraft. He was the president of Warwick Records. They put the record out. 
and it was our first top ten national hit record, and it was a number one record in New York and in the tri-state area. I still have the charts from the New York radio stations when it shows that Tonight I Fell in Love was number one. How cool. Oh, wow. And when we do shows and everything, you know, people would always think, oh, well, you know, Lion Sleeps Tonight, that's the record. Of course. So many people say that Tonight I Fell in Love, that's the favorite Tokens record. And that's one of my favorites because that's really started it all for us. Yeah, it's one of my favorites as well. And I was always curious, this could apply to several Token songs or really several in the world doo-wop period, but I'm curious as far as the songwriting process went, if Hank, just for example, might bring in the lyrics, but then one of the other guys, maybe you, says, wait, we need some dumb doobie bum woo-woo to really kick this thing off. You know, what we used to do is we all sat around a piano, and we all had pianos, and I don't know why, but I had a piano <laughs> as well, even though I didn't play. <laughs> and we would all sit around and contribute. And, you know, one of the things was I had the ability, you know, I was able to sing a lead vocal in falsetto. And I said, I think it would be different if we'd started off with a falsetto riff and do one of the verses in falsetto because this is before the Four Seasons, of course. Yep. And that's how we came about creating a song. It was a complete group effort, just sitting around the piano, coming up with a riff like Dom Doobie Dom, or, you know, we would come up with all these ridiculous riffs to sing in the background because if you listen to a lot of records of the 50s and 60s, you'll hear a lot of Dom Doobie Doms and this and that. Yeah. Actually, you know, you'll hear it on Sadaka's records, like his first record of Breaking Up Is Hard To Do. You know? Yes. We all had those little riffs. We call those the hooks, the hooks of the record that could contribute to making it a hit record. And how about general vocal arrangements? Did everyone pretty much stay in the position of, say, first tenor, second tenor, etc.? Or did this change for different songs? No, it didn't change for different songs. It was pretty basic. You know, we knew who's going to sing the bottom, the bass. And I was always the lead singer, and I was always able to do many of the different background parts because I had, I don't know if it's still working, but I had about a four-octave range. I could sing a bass part, and then I can sing a falsetto part. So I used to sing a lot of different background parts on the record. You know, we called it overdubbing or doubling a vocal. I would add different parts to fill out the harmony. But that was mostly my function was the vocal arrangement. I did a lot of the vocal arrangements. So would there by chance be some recordings out there of, I don't know, I couldn't even name a song to begin with, that we're hearing six or seven vocal pieces, but it's really you are doing the, you know, we've got... Oh, yeah. Yeah? Sure. Well, tonight I fell in love, you're not hearing any doubled voices. That's just the way it is. And mm -hmm. actually, in the lion sleeps tonight. There are no double voices, but if you listen to a record, one of my very favorites by Carole King and Jerry Goffin called He's in Town, or Portrait of My Love, another big record, you'll uh -huh. hear other vocal parts that I'm in there somehow, on the top, on the bottom, somewhere, you know. <laughs> nice. David Fleming in conversation with Jay Siegel, original lead singer with The Tokens. Back now with KVCR, it's on KVCR. I'm David Fleming in conversation with Jay Siegel, original lead singer of The Tokens. Jay Siegel's Tokens will be in the area soon as part of an all-star lineup. More at affordablemusicproductions.com and details later in the program. In the meantime, you can't have a feature on The Tokens without hearing about this one. I just did the math. 
this October. This is going to be the 60th anniversary of this oh, song. I can't, oh, I can't perceive that. I really can't. Unbelievable. Yeah, I remember that one. That was good. You suddenly have to admit that you're over 60 now. Yeah. I used, I used to be 60. I remember that. But, you know, when, David, when I'm performing on stage, I'm 22 years old. Oh, wow. I love it. When I wake up in the morning, I'm a different age. I'm my real age. But on stage, I'm a kid. Excellent. I had read that The Lion Sleeps Tonight. This was something that you used to like to sing while you were hanging out on the beach to kind of get the attention of the girls. That's yeah? absolutely true. Nice. Yeah. It was a song that I heard on the radio. I had a very eclectic taste in music when I was a kid, and still do. You know, I like classical music. I like country. I like folk. I like all kinds of music. But I was listening to the radio one day, and I heard a cut from an album, and the name of the album was The Weavers. Ah, at yes. Carnegie Hall. Now, Pete Seeger and the Weavers were one of the most famous folk groups of the 50s. And when I'm hearing this song called Wimbleway, I say, oh, wow, I love that chant in the background, and I love how Pete Seeger sings that falsetto part. And I said, I could do that. I could sing that falsetto part. And I would teach it to my guys. You know, I'd teach the song just for fun to sing. And we used to sing it for fun. And, of course, we used to hang out on the beach because we all lived in Brighton Beach in Brooklyn, New York. And I lived like two blocks from where the beach was. So in the summertime, we used to hang out on the beach. And every high school had a different singing group, <laughs> not professionals, just four guys, you know, would get together and form a group. And, you know, the best singers got the most girls. <laughs> That's what we used to do just to get the girls. Beautiful. I don't know if I got too many, but uh, <laughs> that was a long time ago. But that was one of the main reasons was to sing on the beach to get the girls. Of course, what else, right? I understand also that you guys auditioned with this song, but then I guess they gave it a new title, The Lion Sleeps Tonight, and I had read that you guys were not happy about this. As a matter of fact, embarrassed is what I read. Embarrassed with the new title and lyrics. Hey, it's a song about a lion sleeping, and it was even going to be a B-side. Is this... Yeah, yeah. Well, here's the story. Getting it right from the lion's mouth. (laughs) Sorry about the pun. Oh, no, Uh, I live for puns. (laughs) (laughs) We sang The Lion Sleeps Tonight for our producers, Hugo Hanluigi at RCA, very famous producers, producing records for many hits for RCA. And they say, well, you know, what is this song all about? You know, what is the meaning of this song? Because it was a traditional African folk song that was recorded and written in 1939. Right. So I did my homework. I went to the South African consulate in New York City, mm. and I found out what is Wimoway? What does that mean? You know, and I first found out that the word really wasn't Wimoway. It was Mbube. Yes. M-B-U-B-E, which is the Zulu word for lion. I said, well, what's the meaning of this whole song? And they told me, well, actually, Mbube, Wimawe, was a lullaby, and the tribe would go out on a lion hunt. And if they were very quiet on this hunt, the lion would be sleeping, and then they could make their kill, and everybody would have lion meat in the village for the next month or whatever. We told our producers, this is what this song really means. And they called in this songwriter, George Weiss, who came up with the lyric, The Lion Sleeps Tonight. I was handed the lyric in the recording studio, and I wish I still had the yellow legal pad, Mm. with the lyric, The Lion Sleeps Tonight, in the jungle, the mighty... And I said, wait a second, the melody that I know, that I used to be singing on the beach for fun and whatever, really doesn't fit into this lyric. There's too many verses. So I had to create a melody 
right in the studio to fit into the lyric that I was given, The Line Sleeps Tonight. So we recorded it. We thought it was very strange. They called in an opera singer that was part of the New York Metropolitan Opera. There was a soprano saxophone. There was a banjo doing rhythm. I said, what kind of record is this? An African song with an opera singer, a banjo. Who's going to want to play this record? You know, And three of the four guys thought that it shouldn't be released because it was too weird. And my take was, well, maybe that's why it should be released, mm. because there's nothing like it out there, and maybe that'll strike a vein, and who knows what'll happen. And, of course, the record came out in four weeks. It took for it to become number one in the United States, and it sold about three million records at that time, and then it became a number one record in 36 countries all over the world. So, uh, And it's still a very weird record, and there's still nothing <laughs> out there. And I am told that our record, The Lion Sleeps Tonight, is getting played every single day to this day somewhere in the world. So I guess you could say we made some rock and roll history. Yeah, you did, I'd say. I'd say. And the opera singer you mentioned, I actually had to dig this one up. That is Anita Darian. Yeah, I, you know how many other opera singers take credit for that? I've I heard so count. many. Yeah, we, I'm the one who sang on that record, you know, and I, I, all these kind of names. Yeah, I was the one who did the soprano. No, you're right. It was Anita Darian. She's the one who sang on that record. And if you look on her bio, that's one of her top hits that she gets. She talks about the opera, but she talks about she was the voice on The Lion Sleeps Tonight. Mm-hmm. And she was. Can you imagine that? Okay. I think she got the biggest kick out of being on the radio all over the world, you know. I oh, think most that certainly. Was a, that meant a lot to her. Amazing singer, amazing. Oh, my gosh. And that is something that, you know, folks hear you doing the lead vocal in the falsetto, but then when we get her coming in with this soaring, over-the-top sort of almost a science fiction kind of sound. The, yeah, it almost sounds like... <laughs> the opening like to Star the, Trek. Uh, yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> very good, David. Yeah. But anyway, a very weird record, and they used to play it on the radio over and over and over and again, and people, you know, oh, I'm sick of that record already. So <laughs> we always wish that we could make another record that people would get sick of. <laughs> but in a very nice way, that, you know. I am not a royalty I'm an ordinary guy from a little family, and the riches pass us by. Well, I don't think that people got sick of this one, but one of the biggies for you guys was I Hear Trumpets Blow. Yeah. Yeah, and this one has credits, at least the record label that I saw has uh, both the Margos and Hank and you included yeah. all on the writing credits. So, again, yeah, this was yeah. around the table or around the piano. You guys oh, absolutely. This. I came up with the falsetto line right off the top, and all those falsetto parts, that was my contribution to that record. And You know, it's funny, David, a lot of people, when we say, oh, you know, I hear trumpets blow, that's my favorite Tolkien's record. I said, oh, I'm very happy to hear that. You know, I'm happy to hear that anybody says that any of our records were their favorites. Yeah. <laughs> it makes me feel good, sure. I think that album came out about the same time I was born. This is a song, an album that sort of stayed with us. It was a hit. It was great. And I'm sure Lion Sleeps Tonight just overshadowed so many other wonderful, wonderful Tolkien songs. Um, well, you can't escape it. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Which I'm happy about. Now, you sure. know, the National Endowments for the Arts and the Record Association of America, the RIAA, you know, those are the ones that certify mm-hmm. gold and platinum records. They put out a list a few years ago. It was the top 
365 records of the century. Mm. The top 365 records of the century, and our record of The Lion Sleeps Tonight was on that list at number 159. So, wow. Of the century, can you imagine that? Wow. That was a big deal. You can Google that list and you'll see it. That was a big deal and is a big deal. That will yeah. always be, yeah. Still is incredible. Sure. Yeah. And I know it's not impossible when I hear trumpets One last thing, Jay, and that is that with concerts that have multiple acts on it, you pretty much have to keep it lean and trim out and just do the hits. Yeah. So what's the first song that you bring in when you do have a longer set afforded to We you? always open the show with a hit record. We'll always open the show with Tonight I Fell in Love. That's our opening song. It gets them going. It's an up-tempo thing. The audience starts clapping their hands, and everybody knows that record. So, you know, that's the one. Lion Sleeps Tonight, is that your typical closure then? Well, if we have time, we'll do that. <laughs> <laughs> if we have time, we'll try to sit down. No, we always close with that because that's what you're supposed to do. Yeah. yeah. Jay, thank you so much for your time. We went a little bit over, and it was beautiful. I got a lot of wonderful stories and background explanations for things. And so I greatly appreciate this, and I will be seeing you September 25th. I Great. will make I'm sure to track for, you down. You asked one question. I've been interviewed 12 million times. Hmm. You asked a question I've never been asked before. I couldn't believe it. Ooh. How did you work out the harmony? Who sang this part? Who sang? I was never asked that question before. Thank you for asking me. Oh, you got that right. Well, that's yeah. important. I'm surprised. Yeah. Well, thank you for letting me yeah. know that. That's incredible. Yeah, you're the only one that I can remember that ever asked, how did we work out the harmony and this and that? Wow, uh, that was a great question. I, I appreciate that. I appreciate you telling me. Thank you so much. Okay, David. All right. I'll see you the 25th. Yes, I'll see you in September. To coin a phrase. See you in September. I made that record. You did. Okay. <laughs> All right, bye-bye. You, you take care. For the entirety of this edition of KVC Arts, it's been conversation with Jay Siegel, original lead singer of The Tokens, with music from the Link Tones, The Tokens, of course, and this last one from The Happenings, produced by Jay Siegel and The Tokens. A reminder that Jay Siegel's Tokens will be in the area September 25th as part of Legends of Doo-Wop and Rock and Roll Volume 3, along with Terry Johnson's Flamingos, The Dukes of Doo-Wop, Kathy Young, Leon Hughes Coasters, and emceed by comedian Scott Wood more at affordablemusicproductions.com. Thanks again to Jay Siegel as well as to Nathan Gothels of Affordable Music Productions for getting the two of us in touch. Here at KBCR, thanks to Lillian Vasquez, Rick Dulock, and Shereen Wad. Many past shows can be found through iTunes, Spotify, and NPR One. And most past shows are kbcrnews.org arts. I'm David Fleming. Thanks especially to you for listening and for your support. 
which you can do any time of the year. Go to kvcrnews.org support. And thanks again.